I did a 30-year career with the La Crosse Police Department. I really enjoyed it, but boy, I'll tell you, I'm sure happy to be done with it. Things are settled down. You've got them into custody. And I think that's when it's like, holy moly, what just happened here? 30 years. That is a long time. Think about doing anything for 30 years. I'm Ken Cooper, and this is Around River City, where I get to talk with the people that make this area such a cool place to live. This time around, we'll get to hear stories from Tom Walsh, who just retired after 30 years on the La Crosse Police Force. Tom's origin story, some of his most frightening moments, and what he's learned about La Crosse and about himself over the last 30 years. That conversation begins next. This is Around River City. I'm Ken Cooper. Thanks for listening into Around River City today. By the way, you can subscribe to the podcast at aroundrivercity.com. That way you'll get notifications every time I post a new show. This time, I'm talking with Tom Walsh, who, after 30 years, just retired from the City of La Crosse Police Department. When he retired, Tom was a sergeant of the Professional Standards Community Services Bureau. Before Tom and I got into the meat of our conversation, there was one question that I've always thought I should ask a police officer. Is the word cop derogatory? Is it a bad thing, or what do you like to be I've I've never taken cop... Uh, as a as a derogatory term, um, um, I, I know there's others that have, um, you know, so whether it's uh, cop or police officer, uh, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, that's all some, you know, semantic. I, it never really bothered me one way or the other. So how long were you a cop? I was on the force for 30 years. I started in December of 1990 and, uh, of course, retired in December of 2020. So I did a 30-year uh, career with the La Crosse Police Department. Excellent time. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it, but, boy, I'll tell you, I'm sure happy to be done with it. And uh, when you see all the stuff that's happening, and uh, I'm glad that I'm, I'm, I'm through with it. Good timing, huh? Perfect timing to get out, in my opinion. And, of course, I still think and worry about the officers that are out there that are still doing uh, our, the, the public's work on a daily basis. Uh, you know, that's, that's always concerning. And, and I, I certainly do nothing but wish all of them safety and security and all the best as I, I move on to my next chapter. So tell me the story of how you decided to become a police officer. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. You know, I, 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 I had some friends that were on the police department and I was kind of wavering. I was taking some classes out at UWL uh, not taking. I was a full-time student at UWL, so I shouldn't say it so so lightly. But school is never my favorite thing. I, you know, I just I, I I always I don't want to say I struggled, but I just could never find that direction as to where I wanted to go. And uh, I was in a political science class uh, with Dr. Joe Heim. Uh, he was my instructor at the time. Great guy. I, I I've always gotten along very well with Dr. Heim. Uh, I really enjoy him and. Um, in the course of this discussion, um, there used to be a three-way stop sign that sat at, um, I believe it's Badger Street or um, and 16th Street, and it's now uh, been it's now a pedestrian walkway. But at the time, 16th Street extended all the way up to Badger Street, where it was then a T intersection, and there was a three-way stop sign on that that intersection. 
And Dr. Heim was discussing how he felt that was an inappropriate place for that stop sign. It didn't need to be there. And this is a political science class. We're in political science discussion. You know, and, and I, I think this, certainly this wasn't the topic for the day, um, but we kind of got off onto this little it became tangent. <laughs> and uh, I obviously countered that I didn't feel as though there were anything wrong with those signs, that, you know, the law is the law and this is what it is and so on and so forth. And Obviously, our, our viewpoints were, were different, and at the end of our discussion within the class, he looked at me and says, you ought to go into law enforcement. Well, I really have a whole lot of other direction in life, and so I ultimately relied on my buddies that were already on the police department, got my application in, and got hired on the police department as an, uh, as uh, got hired on the police department initially as a cadet, uh, and then just a short time later moved into being a police officer. Does Joe know this story? You know, I, I'm guessing that he's heard it. Um, but I've never had the opportunity to really sit down and talk with him uh, to just say, you know, this is what happened. And, uh, and, and I'm certain, you know, with all of the students he's seen since probably, this must have been probably in 89, uh, that this is one of those stories that probably would never resonate with him. But it certainly did in my mind. And, and like I say, here's 31, 32 years later, uh, I can tell the story now that, yeah, you know, I mean, just a little debate over a three-way stop sign and uh, now I've, I'm a retired law enforcement officer because of that. He's, I, I, I like the fact that he saw something positive in a disagreement, which is something we can all learn from. I think, I think that there's a lot to be learned from, from when we were younger, too. I, I, I think that people had, you know, we did agree to disagree more. I, I don't think there was this polarization uh, that you're seeing now currently in our society. You know, nobody sits down and talks about things, and certainly uh, my viewpoint it, whether you think it's right or wrong, you know, we would have that discussion, but we'd all leave and we wouldn't be wanting to burn buildings down and kill each other. So what would you like to say to Dr. Heim? Well, I appreciate what he did. And, and I, I've always appreciated Dr. Heim. I really have. I've always thought, uh, I, I always felt as though he was very open. And, and I think that discussion right there is a perfect example of you know, he had his viewpoint. I think he was thinking that his viewpoint was the, the one that was going to hold the day. And I ended up getting into a discussion with him about it. And it was completely opposite. And we, there was not, no ill well, will ever felt, at least in my opinion. And, and I think that, that, like you said, that's a lesson that needs to be learned. Just out of curiosity, did you change his mind? No, gosh, no, no. And he didn't change mine either. <laughs> and good things came from the conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. Good things really can come from a good conversation. We're going to have more with Tom Walsh on the way. In fact, I, I do want to let you know that we're going to be talking about some situations that are highly stressful and you might find a little troubling. I hope you can stay with us as Around River City continues. I'm Ken Cooper, and this is Around River City. It's a podcast where I get to talk with people who make this area a really cool place to live. Tom Walsh has been doing that as a lacrosse cop for 30 years, and he recently retired from the police force. One really hot topic right now is whether or not there should be police officers in our schools. Tom has some strong thoughts about that, and we'll get to those. But first, one question I was a bit nervous to ask was... What was the first time you were ever really scared as a police officer? 
Well, you know, I don't, and, and again, you know, I, I go back on, on this, and I, I don't know that when you're in the moment, you're necessarily scared. You're, you're, you rely and fall back on your training. Uh, you work, uh, you know, you try and go through that. You try and slow situations down. But I think it's after the fact. And, and the one situation that really kind of uh, uh, comes to mind is an armed robbery that I stumbled on on, on South Avenue um, in the in the early morning hours uh, at a quick trip out there on South Avenue where an individual had run out the front doors and as soon as he got out the front doors he fired off around uh, into the ground and I, I I observed that he ran you just happened to be there happened to be patrolling you know just it's just uh, you know an officer that was out patrolling um, and in the right place at the right time you know and and that's what it boils down to what 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 where was the gun when he discharged it was this it was kind of down by his right side you know so it's almost like he had had done what he had did uh in within that quick trip and then came out was putting the gun down to his side and the gun gun went off what does that look like in the dark uh it's it's interesting you know and and it just like i say it caught my attention like, what in the world it almost looked like his pants exploded and i think that might have been the description i gave to the dispatch center i Guy just comes around on a quick trip, and it looked like his pants exploded. And what did you do? I pulled around the corner, uh, and this individual jumped into the back end of a pickup truck, and and they began fleeing the area. And ultimately, I got him stopped. Now, in this day, you know, I you know, you can second guess whether that was the right decision or not. But I knew something had just happened, and shortly after I stopped this vehicle, uh, we were notified that this was an armed robbery, and. It was interesting only, and, and I think that's when your your senses go up, you get real keen, uh, and, and now here you are, you're on an island, uh, you're by yourself, and you have two individuals in a vehicle, one of which at least you know is armed. And just to be clear, you're outnumbered. At this point, yes. Um, you know, and, and our my the backup officers, they of course get notified, they know I have this individual stopped, and... Of course, that peaks their senses as well, and and they they get there as quickly as possible. Uh, so not only are you dealing with the two individuals, you're directing uh, the additional backup cars, how to get into place, so on and so forth. So there's it's a it's a stress filled time. Let's just put it at that. And and we have officers that do this still. Uh, this is the kind of thing that police do. Um, protect and serve means a lot. And that's, and, and at this point in time, we have an armed person who's willing to fire a gun. We got to get that person taken into custody. It's funny. You said in hindsight, maybe today, it was it the right decision. There, you, you can't spend a, I mean, you were in a heated moment. Absolutely. And, and, and yes, we can look back and say, what could we have done better? But do you want to spend a lot of time second guessing yourself? I, I think that you have to go back after the fact. And you have to think through those scenarios and how, if it happened again, how would you uh, handle that situation? Excuse me. <clears throat> you know, I, I think you have to, uh, you have to figure out how you're going to handle those situations moving forward. And then certainly it is a, a learning experience to be able to teach other officers as to what your experience was. And that's a lot of what our law enforcement training is, is dealing effectively and training and learning from our situations that we've been in before. Eventually, the adrenaline goes away, and that's that's when it gets you. Yeah, is, tell me about that. You know, so it's you know, kind of that adrenaline dump is what happens, and and all of a sudden now things are settled down. You've got them into custody. 
Uh, you know that the the individual at the store is okay, and I think that's when that when you kind of get that dump, and that's when it's like, holy moly, what did what just happened here? You know, and I think that's when you recognize that this was really a really dangerous situation, uh, and that's when I think if there's fear, that's when it comes in is after the fact. Hmm. Did you ever second guess? You know, am I cut out for this? <laughs> um, no, I didn't. <clears throat> no, I didn't. Uh, in fact, it, it, situations like that, when you have the ability to go out uh, and serve and protect uh, and 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 honor the oath that you took as a as a police officer, that just kind of made it more that you know this was the right line of work. This is this is what my true calling was was to be out here protecting the community I was I grew up in. Uh, and be able to serve the 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 good people of lacrosse what is the most scared you have been boy you know i don't know um you know there were a few times i <laughs> uh i can think of a call over on state street uh a suicidal suicidal uh individual um and myself and my partner at the time were it was an Oktoberfest weekend we were negotiating with this gentleman through a door it was just his apartment door and all of a sudden, we heard an explosion on the other side of the door. Uh, and that one puckered the old you-know-what. That one got our attention. Uh, and ultimately, what he was doing was behind the door, taking an aerosol can and lighting it and blowing it toward the door. Uh, we ultimately had to just bail and get out of there. And uh, ultimately, the response team was able to get there. Um, this guy lit his apartment on fire. They were able to get him out and take him into custody. But that one probably was the most concerning because I think what happened is we heard that explosion and we both looked at each other like, okay, we're okay, but boy, that gets your, gets your heart going. You get nervous. What's coming next? And we're on the second story of this building and we have to get out the door. Um, and in the process of that, she got injured. My partner did. So, you know, things like that. I think when, when, when you, you, you talk about injuries and, and things that happen to you, I think that's when I got my most nervous was something like that. It's the, I guess that's the kind of story that, you know, people that are, do you call us civilians, I guess? Well, we civilians, yeah. you know, we, we imagine that picture of uh, if you're married and saying goodbye in the morning and then the person, the spouse staying behind and having to worry all day. Yeah. And they, and that's just it. There's that always that, question of are you going to come home because you just never know i mean it, it may seem like a very very calm quiet day and we've had some days um i've had a couple of very very memorable fourth of july's that i've worked uh over the years um but it can change on a dime it can be the quietest night of the year quiet nothing going on no traffic moving and the next thing you know you're involved in a mess and and it can turn into a just a really, really bad situation. And that's how quickly it changes. And that's what we try and explain to our officers. And, and that's the one thing that you try and train is you never get complacent. That that even the most simple call can turn on you in a heartbeat. And you just never know when it's going to come, so you have to be prepared all the time. So how does your family deal with that? Tell me tell me about your family. You so, so like I say, I'm, I'm married. My wife, uh, my wife and I have been married for 19 years. Um, obviously like I, you know, I mean, I worked the job about 11 years prior to even prior to getting married. Uh, we don't have any kids, which, but still, you know, 
Deb uh, is from the area as well. She's a, a West Salem native originally. And then, like I say, so her and I have both basically been here for, for most of our lives. Um, I think Deb always had a little, she had a good perspective that, you know, this is what I do um, and this is who I am. And, um, you know, sometimes it, it can wreak some havoc on a marriage. There's no question. There's certainly some times that are challenging, but it's also good to have a, an understanding uh, partner with you that that can you know you can go home and just vent to uh, and, and you try not to but sometimes it's important and and the nice thing about that was she has a different perspective because she's not tied in to that law enforcement so you know I can get all the law enforcement perspective I need sometimes it's nice to get grounded uh, and have somebody that brings a totally different perspective uh, to what you're going through and how you're managing it there, there must be a level though of you not wanting to, I mean, that's a, that might be a lot to put on a person to say that I was in danger today. I, I think that you always, we always minimize, but certainly there's, you have to have the ability to uh, at least, certainly there's certain things that you just never talk about. You know, you never bring up and, and there's things that I'll, you know, that will, that are stuck in the memory bank that are always going to be there and they're never going to go away. And they're not things that you ever want to talk about. I think you saw that a lot with a lot of our World War II veterans and mm -hmm. the Korean War mm -hmm. veterans and the Vietnam era vets. You know, you would go through and you'd see some horrific things and you don't want to share that stuff. So you just keep it and you internalize it and you deal with it. Um, and whether that's right, wrong, I don't know, but it's what we do. Um, but there's other ones that, you know, you just got to talk about them. You know, uh, I remember certain things with, with kids and that stuff just, you know, wears on you. It eats at you. Sometimes you just got to talk about it. And I, I found some, uh, a lot of opportunities where I talk to my wife and say, geez, this was just, just a bad, bad situation here. Is that the worst things <laughs> involving kids? That was, I mean, saw a, a, a several uh, situations with kids that, that are just tragic, uh, deaths, death related, uh, different ways. Um, those are certainly tragic. Um, uh, the first suicide I ever went on was a, a very, not a, I mean, it was a friend of mine, uh, um, who had killed herself. That one sticks with you, you know, so there's, there's certain things that, that get pumped into your system that they just never leave. And, and, you know, that's, that's part of, but again, we have to have people that do it. Uh, and we have to have, you know, police officers that are good, that are willing to go out and do their job. I think one thing we're doing better now, and um, I think Chief Tischer and now certainly Chief Kudron, uh, both have done a very, very good job of getting more uh, programs in to help our officers take care of themselves. Uh, not physically, you know, with the with the mental health side of thing. Officer wellness is is really getting recognized. Uh, as something that we need to do, we need to take care of our officers and, and allow them the opportunity to be able to talk about some of these situations that they've gone through. How do you, though, as a uh, as a person, as a human being, the next day after you've gone to that suicide, how do you get yourself to put your uniform back on again and go do it again? You know, again, I think you look back on it. I think that's what we just we were we're trained to do. Um, you have to try and compartmentalize it, put it off to the side, and just leave it there 
and move on to the next. And, and a lot of times that's what we, well, not a lot of times, that's what we do. Um, bad car crashes, homicides, drownings, whatever it may be, you, you treat it like the call that it is, you manage it, and, and you just go on to the next call. And, and unfortunately, that's the way it is, and, that, mm-hmm. and that's, I don't see how you ever change that exactly, but I do think it's important to offer our officers the opportunity to discuss this stuff when they want to talk about it and not judge them on it. Just understand that you know we see some pretty rotten things, and, and we need to allow our officers, uh, these officers that are out there doing this, uh, this work for us, to go out to be able to express and talk about this without holding it against them. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier the the things that you didn't have in 1990 when you started. I think one thing we didn't have was the term PTSD and an understanding of no, it. No, we didn't have any understanding of it. And uh, certainly, I mean, you look at, again, we'll go back to the military. I uh, spent a lot of time working with the, the honor flight here locally. Um, it's one of the greatest things I've ever done. Uh, certainly volunteering and working on that has been just an amazing experience. But you look at a lot of those vets and a lot of, those, a lot of feelings get stirred up. Uh, when, when you're on those honor flights with those vets that have been in combat and been overseas in those types of situations. And, and again, you know, if we need to allow people the opportunity to talk about these kinds of things uh, and not, not, not stigmatize them and not teach, you know, make them feel like it's wrong for them to talk about it. Um, do you think has, uh, has being a police officer made you a better person, you think, outside of the job? Boy, I don't know. You know, I hope so. I, I think um, I'm, I'm, as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little more empathetic. Uh, that's always been a tough thing for not only, I think just law enforcement in general, I think empathy is a real tough thing. I not, you know, I think sympathy, empathy, they're totally different. I think, you know, I think we're good at it, but we, we could do better in the area of being empathetic. I think all of us as a society could do better <laughs> yeah, that, in the empathy department. True. Um, you know, so it certainly has opened my eyes to a lot of things. Um, I, I think that, you know, as, as I've gotten older, I, I hope that, you know, that I've, I've done some good things. I worked as an SRO uh, for a number of years at Lincoln Middle, and I think that was one of the more life-changing experiences for me in law enforcement uh, because you really see um, some of the, some things with kids that, that really no kid should ever have to face, uh, whether it be being impoverished or hungry or not having clothes or anything like that. And uh, I, I not, you know, my wife and I spent a lot of time trying to help as many kids as we could when I was in those schools. Uh, and, and I firmly, and, and to this day, we still try and do what we can to, you know, do our part to try and help. And so I think in that regard, I think that's that it really has helped me. Unfortunately, sometimes with the job, it gets you a little jaded and it gets you a little cynical. So I think that sometimes we have to get ourselves away from that. Uh, and, and I think when we can when we can get on the outside and look in and see just how much how much we can do to try and help these help our community, I, I think it's worth it. Have you ever caught yourself being more cynical than you should be? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. No question about it. Really hard. Yeah. No, there's no doubt about it. You get really hard on yourself. You get really hard on, on others. Uh, and it's it, sometimes this job just erodes you to that point where you get just 
just downright cynical and and, and then what do you do? Everything. You got to get away. Honestly, honestly, the best the best medicine is to get away. Take some time off and get get the heck out. Get away and come back and try and refresh and recharge. Um, it, it, to get away from it, just because it's this is a job that can get you sour real quick, and you've got to be able to separate that, and otherwise it, it can be a long career. Well, your job is going into well when you're when when you're out on the street every day, okay. it it is going into the parts of this city or any city that most of us don't even realize exist. I, I mean, it, when do you remember when you realized like? I can't believe this is happening in my hometown. Yeah. Oh, I, some of the filth and squalor that you see in some of these residences that, you know, I, there's, there's no question about it. Seeing some of the living conditions. Oh, no doubt. And, and, and I agree. I mean, coming from lacrosse to see that sometimes gets to be a little shocking because I don't, you know, that was never part of what I grew up in. I never saw that kind of thing growing up. Other than the disaster of growing up with five old, you know, with five siblings, you know, what I mean, <laughs> well, that's a whole nother story. That's another podcast. <laughs> we'll need psychologists for that one. But no, I mean, honest, yeah, really, it, it really was one of those situations where you get in there and you think, holy moly, what is going on here? How did it get this bad? Um, you know, so absolutely, you see it, and it it does open your eyes. And you're right, a lot of our community doesn't know some of the things that are going on. Uh, behind behind the scenes one of the big conversations that's happening now is taking police out of schools what do you think i think it's the dumbest decision that could possibly be made is pulling those police officers out uh, i think it is an agenda item that's pacifying a very small group of individuals i don't believe that they're representative of the complete community uh, and and one of the worst things that could happen is pulling those police officers out our relationships are built uh, we build relationships, and I heard Engel say it, and that's just what I'll call him. I won't give him his title. Um, I heard Engel say it, that they're not in the job of creating relationships with police. Okay, but but they're certainly in a position where they can throw fingers and point fingers at the police for everything that goes wrong. Um, what a horrible, horrible way for an educated man to to say what he said about the police. Um, I think that he turned... And, and changed his uh, his viewpoint, and I, I firmly believe that this is a huge mistake. I worked at Lincoln Middle School for five years, and the relationships I developed, the relationships I built, uh, and, and this isn't just for me. I can speak for all of the school resource officers that have been in there. We develop, foster, and build relationships with kids that are lifelong. I get invitations to weddings. I get, every time I see certain kids, I get pictures shown of me of their kids. Um, my wife and I invested in these kids. We, as as we talked through our interview, the uh, my wife and I don't have children. We were we were never blessed with that. It's it's part of life. It's part of who we are. But what we did do is when we see we saw kids that were in need, kids that were impoverished, uh, that needed clothes, that needed shoes, that needed food, we took care of it, and and we never asked for anybody to pat us on the back. More law enforcement out there do that for people. I saw this wonderful thing on, on Officer Helm, Helm Connor, I'll call him, uh, the other day uh, where, where he helped a person in need. That goes on a lot at, that the community doesn't know about. And it, and it really goes on in those schools. And we develop and build relationships, not only with the kids, with we, we 
Uh, we bridge gaps between the school and the families. There's so much that the SROs do that is is not something you can write down. And and to just to take us out at this point, just an absolute mistake. And, and ultimately, I think it's going to be um, a mistake that's going to cost the schools in the long run. That's Tom Walsh, recently retired from the La Crosse Police Department. I'm Ken Cooper, and this is Around River City. You can check out all the episodes at AroundRiverCity.com. When we come back with Tom, we'll talk more about how this job affects a person and how the person affects the job, too. We'll be right back. It's Around River City from AroundRiverCity.com. I'm Ken Cooper, and I'm talking with retired police officer Tom Walsh. We can all imagine how a job like his will affect a person, especially after 30 years. But one thing I wanted to know was, how did Tom think that his own personality affected his job? I, I think that my, I think that coming from town, uh, being from here, certainly I've tried to, I think that makes you a little more accountable. Uh, people know who you are. They know your mom and dad, your family, you know, this and that. Uh, so I do believe that that, that, that holds you a little more accountable. Um, and certainly when you make your mistakes, a lot more people know about it. You know, so you, I think that trying to manage uh, being an individual from your hometown, working in, a, in, in that, and, and trying to minimize and not do the wrong I think it makes you want to do the right thing all the time. And I, and I think that's, that's the part of it that, that, and then I also think that with my upbringing, my family, my parents, I think that also plays a lot, a big role into it as well. Now you said your mom isn't, uh, or wasn't, uh, she, well, she was disappointed you didn't finish college. Are they, what, there's gotta be a sense of pride in what you've achieved. Though. I think so. Um, I think initially my mother was not happy with my career choice whatsoever. Um, and no, no fault of hers. My, you know, my dad, he was very supportive, uh, but my mother by, by all, yeah, I think she was nervous. This career doesn't run in your family, does it? No, um, no, but I do have several cousins now that are in it, um, and have been in it for, for the years. In fact, I have a cousin that retired from the state patrol, but no, I never had any aunts or aunts, uncles, grandparents, anything like that. It was just, like I say, it was a calling and, and I, I knew that I needed to serve. Uh, and I wanted to serve, and this is the way that I was able to do it. And like I say, to be able to do it in my own hometown, it was that was even better. What do you think? What do we think we we as civilians just don't get about your job? What What do we just like? You must think to yourself, man, you just don't get it. I I think you know when I look back on it, you know. We're not allowed to go out and go real public a lot about, you know, this case or that case. Um, but I do believe that uh, the community believes that the law enforcement is the ones that we're the, the judge, jury, and the executioner. And quite honestly, we bring the people we arrest to the courts, and, if the, and then it's the court system's responsibility. I listen to all this stuff now about arrests, and how we're arresting so many more people. And what you got to remember is, you know, when I started, we had a Huber Center. I'm not saying a Huber Center is the way to go. That's where you would be on work release, and then you'd come back at the end of the night. Now we have justice uh, supports or whatever it is, sanctions, whatever they call it now. Um, and 
we arrest somebody and I think the frustration law enforcement has is that that person's out before we get our paperwork done. And I've never seen it this way before. Um, and, I, and I think people want us to be accountable for the fact that that person's out. Or getting back to the arrests, you know, we arrest somebody, our first time arrest, so say the initial call um, is much less when you start fact, so we'll arrest somebody for a felony charge, uh, and then we start arresting them repeatedly because they're b jumping bail, bail jumping kind of charges. And I think they're using those numbers to, to try and accuse law enforcement of over-arresting people when what we're doing is following an order from the court that we don't have a choice in. And, and it's very aggravating, and I think that's what gets law enforcement very, very frustrated. You probably understand the feeling of between a rock and a hard place. Absolutely. Yep, it is. Oh, no question. And, and I'm not, like I say, I'm not, well, I, I, I have my own opinions about what, you know, one way or the other. But I think that when we're, we're setting people up and putting them back into the community on these bonds, and then law enforcement gets called and the person's intoxicated or they're involved in something else and they're violating their bond, our hands are tied. But when you hear it coming out, whether it be through these committees or the media, it just makes it sound like law enforcement. We're just these raging people that are out there and doing nothing but arresting people when nothing is... It, if you look at the first-time offenses, it's totally different, or the initial charging offense, it's totally different than what the what the numbers are reflective of. And and I don't think that gets talked about enough. And, and I, I, I think the community needs to understand that some of the information I don't think is accurate that's coming out about what we're doing. Who's controlling that information? I mean, what's... Well, a lot of it's the media. A lot of it's the, the groups that are, the committees that are established and how they want to twist and, and show the picture. Uh, and, and I just, I, it's not always accurate. Uh, and, and, and I think that if we want to have a real conversation about it, I think then as a community it needs to happen. But I don't think it's representative of the whole community at this point in time. Hmm. Good time to get out? I'm happy. Absolutely thrilled. I, um, like I say, it's been a great career. I can't envision doing anything else for, for what I, you know, for the 30 years that I did it. But I think at this point in time, times are changing, like we talked earlier with the, the technology, uh, some of the frustrations with like what I was just talking about. Yeah, it's a good time to go. It's, it's, it's time to let somebody else steer the ship. And, and I think we have great people, they have great people in, in the La Crosse Police Department. I'm very confident it's going to do, they're going to do great things. What about you? What are you going to do? You know, we, uh, I have made a, a very strong decision that for at least a year, I'm not going to do much of anything. I want to get away from it all. Uh, Deb and I, my wife, are uh, going to get out of here for several months. About mid-January, we're going to get out of here. We're going to head out Arizona way, and then we're going to do some traveling. Uh, so I, we'll be gone for the better part of the winter and then get back, and golf season kicks in. So it's time to get back out on the links and start trying to figure out how to, how to hit that little white ball again. Sounds like a plan. And the nice thing is Arizona in the winter, you'll be one of the young kids. Yeah, well, you'll play, <laughs> but you'll be one of the young kids. <laughs> yeah, but I'll still try for that special. You know, get there at 5 o'clock, save 50 cents. <laughs> well, I hope you have a very long and enjoyable retirement. Thank you, Ken. This has been nice. Like I say, it's been a, 
it's been an honor, and and I I really hold that lacrosse is a great community, and I I tell people all the time I go out and recruit new officers and uh, just talk to different people, and I always say I challenge anybody to show me a, a downtown that's as beautiful uh, as the downtown of the city of lacrosse. When I talk about that, I mean you know uh, population similar. You know you just don't find the amount of things going on that you see here in the city of lacrosse anywhere else, and you know, it's thriving. I'm ready, I think, no different than everybody else, to get this COVID stuff behind us and let things get going again because it's just a wonderful place to be. Well, thanks for your service, your 30 years. You bet. Thank you. Tom Walsh, recently retired after 30 years on the Lacrosse Police Force. Tom, just want to say that I hope you and your wife have a really good and a very long retirement. You've earned it. Thanks for listening to Around River City. If you want to check out more episodes, go to aroundrivercity.com. And you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and you'll never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Ken Cooper.